I think that's probably what my mother say about being self-destructive, that I go until it breaks. I probably could start to find this balance much before, but I'm just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it until it's too late. And then it's like, okay, or I die or I need to change. And it goes up to that point. And yeah, I hope that now all these chapters are like closed and now the balance is here. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and my guest this week is Killian Jornet. He hardly needs an introduction, so I'll keep this one short. Killian is one of the greatest endurance athletes of all time. The 32-year-old Catalonian has won major ultramarathons like Western States, UTMB, Hard Rock, and others. He's captured multiple world titles in ski mountaineering, and he holds fastest-known times up and down Matterhorn, Mont Blanc, Denali, Everest, and other mountains. In this conversation, we talked about how he's changed his training focus during the pandemic and the biggest lessons he's learned from taking a new approach, his relationship with competition and how it's changed over the years, and how he thinks about risk now versus when he was a younger athlete. We also dissected his propensity towards self-destruction and pushing the boundaries of pain and suffering, experimentation and fear of failure, becoming a climate advocate who is working to protect the environment and mountains he loves so dearly, and a lot more. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I've always had a number of different New Balance trainers in my rotation, and one of my go-tos right now is the Fresh Foam 1080 V10. It's comfortable, versatile, and durable. I have beat the crap out of this shoe on long runs, easy runs, and fartlek sessions, and it still feels great under and around my feet, providing a secure, well-cushioned ride that's not mushy at all. And for what it's worth, the last two trips I took before COVID-19 killed my travel plans for the year, this is the only running shoe that I brought with me. So if you're looking for a workhorse to add to your own stable of shoes this fall, check out the Fresh Foam 1080 V10 at newbalance.com or at the links in the show notes. Okay, this is a special one, folks. Please enjoy my conversation with the incredible Killian Jornet. Right, Killian Jornet, welcome to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you very much for having me here. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, well, like uh, the situation, it's, it's difficult everywhere, but uh, I am healthy. And, uh, and actually in Norway, the, the restrictions aren't much, so we are able to, to go outdoors. And, and actually enjoying the, the mountains home that haven't been able to do that for many years, so not not bad. We're having this conversation. It's later in the evening for you. I'm curious, what does a typical day in your life look like right now? Well, like uh, now, I'm I'm training a bit differently because this year I, I wanted to do something on on flat that I have never done. So actually, it's it's not very long runs on on time because running flat it's it's quick compared to mountains but normally I, I wake up and then like we we take our breakfast we we play a bit with our daughter and then it's uh, I, I go for a first uh, training session that it can be from two to five six hours now that I'm running flat it's more like from two to maximum three hours if it's in the mountains longer and then like uh, in the afternoon I go for a one hour short run what do the specific workouts themselves look like for you right now when you're running flatter and focusing on speed? So um, I would say I, I go one day a week uh, to the track to do this kind of like a 10, 15 times uh, 400 meters and then more like it can be like 10 times 1K, uh, this kind of more classical uh, track workouts. Uh, and then I, I do one day like more like a threshold, so three, five, seven kilometers um, long intervals, and then one day of uh, of tempo, so that can be like uh, from ten to twenty kilometers on on a bit more like steady pace. And the rest of the days it's it's pretty easy easy running, and I I still do one or two days of mountain days, like going climbing and scrambling. I think it's to, to keep mentally 
mentally satisfied. I, I need that. How much do you need that to balance out the flatter, faster running that you're doing? Well, like I know that the flat uh, for me is like a parenthesis. Like I know that I'm doing this, this like that year, but I know that next year I want to be climbing mountains and do things like that. So I know that it's uh, a very short period. So that's, I think, why I can handle it. Uh, and I, I still need to be at least one, two days a week touching with the hands, like doing a run that I need to push with the hands. So uh, at least one one time a week, that's mandatory to to feel a bit the mountain. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think I could do like a running, like flat running uh, for two, three, four years. Uh, I think it's, it's, for me, it's very interesting to do it this year. But uh, uh, I kind of miss the feeling of being more in the mountains, even if like I'm on the mountains mm-hmm. almost every day. Have you ever had any other period of your life as a competitive athlete where you have specifically focused on flatter running for a longer period of time? Or is this a new experiment for you? It's very new. Like uh, uh, last year was the first time I did a run on the road um, for with, with purpose. Like before, I, I hated uh, roads. I hated flat. Like I, if I could <laughs> just avoid any road, like I was crossing the roads, but that was all. Uh, and I had never count kilometers until last year. I was counting only hours and elevation. So last year is the first year I had started to count distance on my on my um, uh, diary. So, uh, no, actually, it's, it's very, very new for me. Have you wanted to abandon it at all, or is it challenging enough that you want to explore it further and see what you're capable of? Well, I, I think when you train, you are always with this dark dream of, uh, of quitting because it's hard, but that, that's because uh, not only the flat, but also when you train hard on mountains, like it's always things that say, okay, that's maybe not the best thing to do, but, but it's, you know, that it's always a joke. Uh, so, um, I, uh, I, no, I, I think that I, I want to try and I want to, to try to see how the workouts, uh, goes and, and it's just like, I'm learning so much. So that's very interesting. Even if I get injured or if, even if I, I don't progress much, I, the, the learning process, it's, it's very interesting. So I don't want to, to yeah to quit and go back to the mountains like right now because it's um it's just enough interesting to to do it for a, a certain period of time what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned so far well a lot i i think a lot about um a training because to to do that like i i self-coach myself so i i has been like studying a bit more on on training for athletics and that has been helping me also on on uh on climbing i mean on, on steep running and on uphill running it has been improved on there uh especially because i think after many years of of training uh what it makes a difference is is not really what kind of training you do but it's change is to put other stress to your body and and actually, mm-hmm. my body was like saying, what's going on? It's what are you doing? Like running. And I think um, that uh, that stress makes a difference. So I think that was a big a big thing, like uh, how change can make improving in other qualities or the same qualities that you have been working for for long, but you are not able to improve because uh, the training, the normal training don't give uh, enough stimulus um, and then, like a lot of things about biomechanics, and and also about uh, I has been more interesting about nutrition and and about uh, fueling. So uh, it's just like when you enter an, another world. Like uh, I love to read more about, and then it's it's just like a lot of different different subjects that pop on into mind, and and I try to to learn about it. If this had been a normal year and you were focusing on the things that you usually do, do you think you would have taken the time at this point of your 
career to focus on this flatter, faster running? Or have you just looked at this pandemic and everything being canceled as an opportunity to do it because now you have the time and you're not traveling as much? Yeah, sure. Sure. It has effect because uh, my plan was first to go to the Himalayas to climb on uh, April and May. So uh, then it's like very slow uh, walking. And uh, and then I, I did plan to, to run something flat, but I was thinking to start training on on June, July when I was coming back from the Himalayas and then just to give it until like November. So just do a couple of months. But now, yeah, I have been training a bit longer. I, I started training on um, like March. Uh, I, I stopped like skiing on, on the end of March. So since March, I have been only focusing on flat. So it has been longer the preparation than than if it was not the the coronavirus and, and probably some more expeditions. Do you have any tests planned? I don't know that there are any races that are going to happen where you can test this newfound fitness, but have you planned any time trials or anything for yourself where you'll run, I don't know, maybe a fast 10 kilometers or a half marathon or maybe a marathon and you can see what this translates to in terms of a time? Um, yeah, it, it's it's hard to find races actually because they are canceling a lot. But um, I I plan to do a, a 10k race uh, the in October 17th in uh, here in Norway, uh, close to Oslo, and I believe it's a race with uh, with a very good level. Uh, last year it was uh, Jakob uh, Ingebrigtsen that uh, won the race, and and it's always like very strong athletes. So I think I can uh like see them in front and like try to to push and so it's it's always good motivation to, to have fast guys so i will do this 10k and then i will see uh, i has been very injured uh, uh this summer uh for the change of uh, of training and then i will see after the 10k if uh, if the legs are are okay and then like try to see if uh something longer uh, uh happens uh a half, a marathon, or, or something else, and but uh, I go step by step because it's it's a new world for me, and I want to. I don't know if um, the injury will come back, so I for the moment it's the ten k, and then I will see. What was the injury that you dealt with this summer? Um, it was uh, a hip injury, and I, I believe it was because the, the problem of mountain athletes is that uh, we work a lot the the cardiovascular system, so we have. Uh, very big uh, bo 2 max in general. So when you mm-hmm. start running flat, uh, you feel that it's always easy for the for the cardio, uh, but the legs cannot follow the space. And the problem is that you can go to the track and say, okay, I can do like uh, mm, 20 times 200 meters full gas. And then like uh, the same afternoon, you can do like 10 times 400 meters. And the day after you can do like uh, the same because you feel rest, like the cardio is like, I have not doing too much. But the right. problem is that the, the muscles and the joints, they are not used at all because we, we never run fast. So, so uh, they just uh, handle until a point and then that just explodes. So I, I was doing, I realized that I was doing too much, too fast uh, to start. Have you noticed that your body composition has changed at all since you're not in the mountains as much and doing as much vertical? Um, yeah, I, I have loose uh, legs weight uh, a little. Um, so I have loose uh, muscles uh, because uh, you don't need this much strength. Um, mostly that, I would say, uh, yeah, I, I have been losing a bit of weight on the, on the leg side. Last question regarding your current training focus. I'm curious, and I know a lot of people listening to this are as well. If you had to guess, what do you think you could run for a marathon, whether it happens or not? But based on the workouts you've been doing, do you have any idea where you would land? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very hard to predict um, because, because I, have not, like, I have not run a single race on flat. So... Uh, so I don't know, like I have done workouts, uh, uh, I think good workouts, but then I don't know in a race, like if I, I will handle the distance uh, on, on this space. Uh, and, and it's hard to see like my training times compared to other athletes. 
that they have been running in roads because they have much probably a much better running economy they or or like they must handle much better the distance so uh uh i i don't know like i think it could be something from around 210 to 215 um but like uh, i i honestly have no idea i think i need to do some racing to to know it yeah i part of the fun is in finding out and i i think it would be it'd be really interesting to see you in that environment in just a very different type of race where you have to go full gas for you know 2 hours it's a very consistent rhythm which is very different from all the types of racing that you've done over the years even the shorter ones like a Sierra Zanal which is quote unquote a fast trail race yeah exactly i i think because the the biggest difference is that when you run in the mountains like you go full gas on cardio uh but the legs it's very different because like you can go full mm-hmm. gas on an uphill and then it's just like acid lactic but then you have a flat section so then it changes to to more the elasticity and then you have a downhill so it's more about like different movements um so the pace is changed a lot uh but on a, on a flat race you need to learn that the cardio need to go to be pretty low all the time and then it just like you need to find the pace that your legs can handle and then try to to keep it for long so i think it's in, like or at least for mountain athletes is is to forget about like i can push as far as my cardio can because then you know that you will blow up pretty fast uh, and it just to to in, in training to find these spaces that you can feel not comfortable but that you know that you can handle do you enjoy experimenting on yourself um yeah i i think that's that's one of the biggest interests on sport it's just to to know what your body can do what uh, you just like just to experiment like if i do this kind of training what kind of adaptations will happen or uh, and and not only for oneself but just like to try something that you say okay that that might work and maybe i i don't have the capacities to 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 adapt but another athlete can do it so i think like the for me the biggest interest of of a sport it's it's that is exploration and and exploration is testing do you fear failure at all when you're experimenting or testing yourself um no no because failure is uh, like when you are testing like it's you, you have an an hypothesis you think okay i it might work like that but if you are testing is because you want to know if it's a yes or if mm-hmm. it's a no so uh that's the interest and and many times it's a no many times i i have like <laughs> and 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 then i i'm completely <laughs> like broke for for a week or for a month or or it just don't work so i'm i'm injured or but but that's the the interest if it was always like success then then it has not not any interest at all because then it's it's already something that you know so there it's i i think on uh yeah it it has the interest is on 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 failure when did you first start to take an interest in exercise science and physiology um i i did the study sport science in the university so when i was uh, 18 years old um and there i was interested um for the studies uh, but probably at that time i was the, the the subjects that they were more interesting to me it was more the psychology um and then probably after that it, it came more like the 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 physiology uh, and i i think since yeah since uh, actually i got a big injury when i was 16 years old um very stupid mm-hmm. i was just uh going to to the school and i was uh going back home and and i was running in the streets and uh to not uh go from one street to the other i tried to jump from like it was not big but like two meters high in the streets and with all the notebooks and everything like i fell uh, on the street with my knee and i broke my patella so um i was like at a very good level at that point and then i broke my patella and like it was like okay i i don't know if i will be able to reach my level before and i have a big difference of a strength in one leg and the other 
So I, I was like uh, for uh, six months completely stopped. And at that point, I think is when it, it yeah, it catch me the interest on studying other things to be able to to improve uh, my my performance uh, when I was like injured. So studying to to be able to train better afterwards. In addition to taking on that studying, how did that injury at that point of your life change your perspective, if at all, on the role that athletics played in it? Um, I think in, in two different things. First one is uh, the to know that a sports career is short and it it can it can end at any point. You can get injured, you can have an accident, and then it's it's gone. And uh, and we need to think about okay, after my career, what I will do, how I will earn money, how I will live. Uh, I, do I have other interests of life? So, because it's it's ending, like uh, it's not that you will be an athlete uh, until uh, seventy years old, or not an elite athlete until seventy years old. So it's important to think or to have these other interests. Uh, and I think a big injury when you are young, it it really uh, shows that. Uh, and secondly, it was mostly uh, before the injury. I was a very uh, no brain runner, so I was like just. <laughs> In the start line, I was super nervous, and then I was just giving everything from first second. So starting too fast, and then like slowing down, and then like sprinting, and then uh, and I think that injury it it made me take a bit of more perspective. And after that, I was I think a bit more intelligent athlete. So being able to yeah, just to control better the races and and just show up in the races with uh, like no no any stress. Following up on that, what's your relationship like to competition? Um, it has changed a lot. Um, before, like I wanted to win the races. Uh, like at the beginning, it was just when I started training. My coach, they say, uh, don't think about races. Uh, just train and think about progress. So that was for me. It was just to to focus on training, and then like I show up to races, and actually. Until I did became world champion in ski mountaineering, we didn't start thinking about goals. So I think that was good because then it was not too much pressure on like if I was doing good or bad results. Uh, from that point on, uh, uh, then it was more I wanted to win this race or I wanted to do this this result. So I was focusing more on on training for winning competitions. The goal was to win. And later on, I think because because I so I, I kind of achieved the the goals that I had. Races now are more like a, a checking, I would say. Like I, I I'm more interested on the on the training, and then uh, the races are more like a way to to check if, if what I thought in training uh, has been working. So the result it isn't that important. But it's more like uh, the, the the performance or the feelings that they are more interesting than than the result. When you were a younger athlete, did you tie up a lot of your identity and self worth into your race results? Mm. I don't think that much. Of course, a big part, yes, because uh, when you are a young athlete, when you are young in general. You want to show who you are. You want to to put your name in a community, uh, in your friends, or like I think that's when you are a teenager. That's you do things mostly thinking about uh, what your friends or your community, your parents, whoever will think about, or 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 just yourself, who to try to find an identity. But I think I. As I said, like my coaches, they were very good on like thinking it's always about like sport. It's cool, but it's it's not important. Uh, it's just like another thing in life. And I think my my parents were a bit the same. Like they they really support me, but uh, they always show that yeah, it's it's fun, but it's. Is nothing that it's very important. So for me, I, I believe that uh, 
I, I realized that it was very important sport for me, but just just for me for what I felt, but not really for the for the results. But I think that when you are a teenager, it's always a bit more struggling about this identity and the, the showing and then this inner passion. But uh, I think when, like at 18, 19 years old, then I it really I could really separate uh, these uh, these two two different portions. You mentioned how your relationship with competition has evolved over the course of your career. Are there any athletes that you feared or fear competing against? Um. N- not fear, but uh, that that it becomes more interesting the competition for sure. That and, and at that point, I think it's 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 more exciting. But uh, I would say when I started, it was um, like uh, Ricardo Mejia, uh, a Mexican, uh, uh, an athlete that uh, uh, he he's amazing. Even at 40, 50 years old, he was like really, really having good results. Um, but um, I think also Marco de Gasperi, an Italian, uh, he was also like a very, yeah, very talented athlete. And I always like fear and got excited when he was on the races. Um, probably those are the, the two guys that they has been more like exciting to race with o- on running in the ski mountaineering. It has been, uh, many others, but probably in running, it has been these, these guys. And I'm sure that later on, uh, guys like uh, Francois Den or like uh, um, Jim Wamsley for long distance or uh, Petro Mamu on on short races. It has also also been very very exciting to race with. You're 32 years old now, which objectively is not that old, but you've also been competing at the highest level of sport for practically half of your life. At this point, do you feel old or past your prime years at all? Or do you think there's still a lot left for you to learn about yourself and explore? I, I think that on competition, it's, it's behind. I will continue racing because it's, it's part of me and I really enjoy it. But uh, my motivation isn't there anymore, I would say. But uh, I, I believe that uh, I want to to keep improving and, and keep uh, improving my performance and just keep doing other things. Like uh, I, I have a lot of projects, uh, especially mountaineering, climbing. Uh, it's something that uh, in the next years I really want to put the focus because I, I have, uh, like my motivation is there. Like I want to try different things and test things. And then... I think on on performance, I, I would love to do some other things, but I don't think to put the focus on racing anymore. That don't means that I will not race because I I think it's a very good way to train to the races. But uh, I hope that for the next ten years I can like keep improving my performance, but just to to do other things in in the mountains. You're a father now. You have a one-year-old daughter. You're a partner to Emily. Does that dynamic change anything for you in terms of what you'll focus on or projects that you want to pursue? Mm, it changes on the day-by-day, like logistics, of course. Like uh, you need to be uh, planning much more, and like I just like you, you need to be much more efficient when you go training because uh, you have less time. Uh, you can train during the nights. That's that's good here in Norway in the summer where it's 24-hour sun. But, uh, uh, of course, like short-term, it, it changes a lot of logistics. And in uh, in long-term planning, um, I think it's mostly that you... Yeah, that I focus more on the on the goals, like probably... Before it was more like going from one race to the other, and like every weekend a race, and 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 now it's more okay. I, I have these two races, or I have these two big projects a year, and the rest of the t- time I'm home training for that. Uh, so we change a bit on on the way to to plan and on the way to to train. Uh, I believe for performance, pure performance is better because you focus on less. Um, on less goals so during these goals you are more 
physically better and like mentally uh, more hung- hungry. Uh, but then like, yeah, on, on terms of like uh, quantity, it's, uh, it's less, uh, less quantity of, of projects or races. How about in terms of the riskiness of some of the projects that you want to pursue? Does it affect that at all? Um, that, that was a thing that I didn't know how it would affect me. Like, uh, because it's, it's an emotion. Like, uh, when you are mm-hmm. facing a risk, it's like an emotion. You are there and it's like, okay, here it's uh, this percent of chances that I die or this risk or that. And then you need to, to make a decision. And you don't know, um, or I didn't know how it would change when I became father. And, and it haven't changed facing risk in the mountains. I think because I, I'm someone that tries to analyze um, all the, the different possibilities, the risk, the, the consequence. And, and then I, when I take the decision, I, I'm full aware of what I'm going to do and, and what are the chances. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't cha- changed on that, um, but it has changed on other things. Like uh, it's it's funny that uh, it has changed on the way that I'm driving my car. Uh, I, I'm much more careful. Uh, I don't want to do like long drives uh, during the night when I'm like uh, sleepy or or how I eat. Like not to to eat uh, uh, junky food. I, I haven't eaten much, but. Uh, but uh, to eat better because I'm thinking more about, okay, my health or I'm thinking more about like the planet that uh, my daughter is, is going to live. And so I think I, I'm, I'm willing to take less risk on my lifestyle, but I, I, I can accept the risks that I'm taking on the mountains. You just mentioned how meticulously you prepare for a lot of your pursuits. I've seen some of the training logs or examples of them that you've posted online, and they are very, very detailed. Have you always been a very meticulous, detail-oriented person? Um, I, I think, like, same as, as I said before, after the injury, yes. After that injury at, at 16 years old, before that... Uh, I just had too much energy and, and, and I couldn't put all this energy on a focus. But yeah, I, I believe that after 16 years old, I have like known all the trainings, all the summits, all the times. Uh, and yeah, I, I think I, uh, it, it just like, uh, it feels more, more interesting to just to have all the data. So if, if a day I want to go looking, just it's easier to find it. You mentioned how before the injury at age 16, you were just a very energetic kid. In the film Path to Everest, your mom described you as an active kid with a lot of energy. She also said that you could be self-destructive. I believe her quote was, until he finds a balance, his reaction is self-destruction. What did she mean by that? Mm. Well, I, I believe that she means that I... I could really push um, far on, on a way like pain. Like uh, uh, I could push the pain to see how much I could handle. Uh, or I I was a kid and I could like just go cycling uh, in the night and just like I loved. I, I at that point I loved the 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 to be suffering, uh, I think. And, and it, because I found it interesting, like just to see, okay, yeah, it's how the body can handle. And, and when you are a kid, like that can be dangerous because like the way, if you are doing in a sport, it's cool. But if you are doing, I don't know, like uh, I was living in a small village in the mountain, so it wasn't uh, bad influences. But I think that if I was going to live in a city, it, it could turn like uh, into into bad situations. and And also like, uh, this, uh, when you are going to, to climb mountains, um, the risk is there and it's, uh, it's not like you have a second chance. It's not that, uh, you are injured. Uh, it's that if you have a, a few bad calls, then you, you probably die, uh, very soon. So, um, I think, uh, it was more about that. Like she was afraid that I was just pushing too much because I didn't realize how far it was too far. Did you ever view it as a form of self-destruction or in your eyes, was it just an outlet for you 
to put your energy into and keep yourself out of trouble? No, I, I can see that it has been self-destructive, self especially after hard episodes of my life. Like I would say, uh, after like a, a friend dying in the mountains, after, uh, I don't know, like uh, emotional breakouts, like I could find myself doing an activity that I knew that it was close to um, to death uh, and just... I wanted to be in that place to to prove. I think it was more to prove to myself that if it was, I don't know, like if it was not worth to live, but if it was correct to live, or I, I, so this kind of like just pushing to 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 feel. I think it was more about that, mm -hmm. and, and I think it has been in a few episodes of my life. Uh, this pulsion has been driving me there. Let's continue along this line. In your new book, Above the Clouds, you write that your life is one of contradictions. In those situations that you just described, how do you reconcile that you know, very strong emotion that you're feeling and your desire to push yourself into a very dangerous situation, but not let yourself go far enough that you'll like, quite literally go over the edge? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I, I, I just have grown uh, on a way that uh, now I, I'm able to, to make the difference and, and, and then just to, to know. And I think I have been lucky because uh, I, I'm alive. And I, I think that, yeah, that uh, I'm lucky that these close calls I had in the past, they have been remained close calls. Uh, and, and now I'm able to to just uh, put the energy on a better way or just to to say stop turn around uh, because I think also because now I'm I'm more on balance probably yeah. uh, I, I, it was very hard to to handle um, being known or like I wouldn't say famous but like to have people like that it was following me or admire me and that was something that I I struggled with, or like just I'm a very shy person. I'm very introvert, and just being too much with people, it was also hard to handle. So then it was where these pulsations came, and until the moment that I found, okay, I I know that I I want to be here and live here and be have these periods of silence and have these periods where I'm alone or just with my family. And just to find the balance, I think it has been taking a few years, but now I, for for the last couple of years, that I has been uh, much more uh, in peace with, uh, with uh, who am I and who uh, Killian Journey as a, a, a person, a public person is. Uh, I think when I, I realize how this relation will be, would be, uh, I'm more in peace, and then it's it's easier to to handle all all these kind of pulsions. How do you set those boundaries when you're constantly being asked for interviews, such as this one, uh, photo shoots, sponsor obligations, races inviting you to come and compete? I, I am. Imagine, as you just described, like it, it does sound very, very overwhelming. And I'm glad to hear that you're in a better place with it now. But like, how do you actually, you know, set those boundaries and decide what it is that you're going to put your time and energy into so that you can also put your, you know, have that time to yourself uh, and, and with your family and in the mountains and in solitude? Um, well, I think uh, I, I realized that I... Uh, I can do some things. Uh, I can do some things good, and some things I I, I cannot do, and some things I I'm very bad at. So uh, I I know that I can train myself. I can uh, put effort on on. Uh, I love gear. I love like sports science. I love uh, uh, working on projects, and I love uh, to to plan like logistics and things like that. But I. 
uh, I'm very bad to say no. I'm very like I struggle if I say no to somebody. Then I'm like for a week just thinking, oh, I'm such a bad person, or uh, so. So that takes a lot of effort for me. So I just know that I I cannot be the person to that. So I just needed to have a team of persons uh, beside me that they do this job. So I, I have a. Uh, a manager that is like taking the conversations with the sponsors, uh, uh, another person that is like uh, uh, talking with the press so they can handle this and, and do this job that I know that I'm not capable and I, I, I don't want to spend the energy on that. Mm -hmm. In the path to Everest film, I believe it was in 2011, you said that you came to hate your name. The pressure was really getting to you. And it seems like that was a tipping point. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on that. Was it a, a reckoning for you where you realized something had to change or things were going to spiral out of control pretty quickly? Yeah, it, it, it was a, a point where I say, okay, yeah, that's, I need to find a better balance because uh, I... I was thinking, okay, I, I wish like uh, my name like was dead and I was like uh, free of that. Uh, but on the other way, like it's, uh, I think it's because the balance wasn't there and I was only seeing the negative things of uh, of uh, being uh, known. Uh, and then when I found this balance, like it's, I believe that it just, uh, something that it's uh, great actually because uh, I can use this voice to to raise awareness about other things or like uh, talking today with you about uh, training it's something that I love uh, and uh, it was just to find a good balance and I think like that's probably what my mother say about being self-destructive that I go until it breaks I probably could start to find this balance much before, but I'm just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it until it's too late. And then it's like, okay, or I die or I need to change. And and it goes up to that point. And yeah, I hope that now all these chapters are like closed and now the balance is here. Fast forward a year from that experience in 2011. In 2012, you were attempting the speed record on Mont Blanc as part of your Summits of My Life project. And you alluded to this earlier, but your friend and climbing partner, Stefan Bras, he fell to his death uh, when the ground gave way underneath his feet. I can't imagine witnessing that or what it was like in any way afterward. But how did that tragic accident affect you? Was that a moment of possible self-destruction that you had to work through? It's it's always hard. Like I think it's always hard to witness death, and, and especially um, from a friend like Stefan. He was first an idol. Like uh, I, when I started racing in ski mountaineering, he he was the man, and I, I admired him. And then uh, when I was going to live in the Alps, uh, we were kind of neighbors, and we were training together. And like he became a mentor, and uh, he he was kind of inspiring me to go to to do these mountaineering projects and to do these uh, steep skiing activities and uh, and during one of these activities like uh, we were just like uh, walking side by side uh like close to each other and, and just like uh, the the cornice break between us so there is it's a lot of culpability i say because like you always say why I was in the mountainside and, and he was on the on the wall side and why like uh, he's gone uh, like uh, he had a family like uh, I I had not at that moment or so you all, I think you always culpabilize when an accident happens in the mountains. Um, but then like it's it's things that happen like it's. It's part of it. Like it's not that we want. Or I don't think nobody goes to mountains to to face death. But uh, but we know that it's a possibility, and, and and we try to 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 escape from it all the time. But on another way, like mountains is giving 
me and, and uh, everybody goes to mountains so much like emotions and, and for fitness that that we need to go back uh but yeah sure like for example after stefan's death like uh, uh i don't like alcohol i don't like the test taste of alcohol i have never drink i, I i'm not drinking just like uh, i would never take a beer because i don't like the, the taste and and the year year and a half after stefan's death like i was getting drunk at every race like after every race like i was just going to get drunk and that was like uh my, my way to 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 handle it probably so it took yeah a few years probably to to settle down and, and to understand okay to i don't think it's to take away the culpability because it's always there but it just to yeah to to get with it yeah well kind of a form of of self-destruction to sort of numb the pain or, or the emotions that you were feeling at the time i imagine yeah exactly i think uh in every moment of life when we have a difficult situation like we find a way to 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 handle it and and it's uh yeah it's it's always bad decisions that we take but it's it's the only way that we are able to 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 go through was it hard for you to go back into the mountains after that accident mm. no it was uh, i i i was going back uh like a couple of days after and i wanted to go back to the mountains to first like to see why first to see why uh, see why did it happen uh, and then like to to try to find peace because I, it's mountains is where i feel home like i if i was in a city it was worse because then uh, it, it was in the mountains that we were happy and and mm -hmm. it was still going back to the mountains where i could feel happy again uh it took time to go to the same place where he he died um it took time to and i think and, and that was um um uh anselm boa steeper skier that say and it's very true that uh the the older or when we are young like we are very afraid of our capacities because we don't know them so we are afraid about uh, the, the technical degree that we can climb or like uh, how steep we can ski because we don't know. But we, don't, we are not afraid about the mountains because we see mountains like flat. But the more we grow, like the less afraid we are about our capacities, but the more afraid we are about the, the mountains because we have seen things like this, that accident that the cornice broke or avalanches uh, or uh, crevasses or things that they are not supposed to happen and i think that like now i'm i'm i'm, I'm freaking out when it's like this big um over like uh um cornices of snow and, and because that accident like i i will be very very far when i'm climbing on a ridge to, to the edge uh it, it keeps there you talked earlier about your preparation and just how much attention you pay to detail but in addition to that with everything that you've experienced and as your relationship with some of these pursuits have evolved over the years has your relationship to risk evolved at all over the course of your your life in the mountains uh yes a lot um as i said like uh what I found risky now and what I found risky before it's, it's not the same things. Mm -hmm. uh, now I, I probably, I can do more, some things that they are more difficult and feel safer, but to go to some situations, uh, even if uh, it's an easy terrain, I would be more afraid because I'm more afraid about uh, the permafrost, for example, in the Alps, like now big blocks of rocks are, are, are falling because the permafrost is, is melting and, and you don't know when this thing will fall so I, i'm afraid when i'm going to this kind of terrain or like avalanche uh on even on some easy terrain some days you just don't feel it 
or uh, so I think it, it has changed. Probably I I know some more things, so I'm more afraid of of more things. So probably it's it's just that that I'm technically uh, a better uh, a better athlete, but I uh, I know more, so I'm more afraid of of just the mountains. We're going to put a pin in that. I want to come back to it here in a few minutes and talk about some of the things that you're afraid of and some of the changes that you're seeing in the mountains because it relates directly to what you're going to be doing with your new foundation. But the last thing I'd like to wrap up before we go there, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about your fastest known time on Everest, which you did twice in one week in late May 2017. You had no supplemental oxygen. I'm really interested in how you felt when you completed that feat as the capstone to your Summits of My Life project. Were you elated? Was there a little bit of letdown? Was it a mix of emotions? I'd, I'd really love to understand where you were at in the days and months after that particular feat. Yeah, the, I would say when you reach the summit, you are you are um, released. That is, you don't need to climb higher because you are. It's it's very very hard, so you you just want to go down. Um, but um, I would say like uh, some projects you finish and you feel like uh, empty because uh, what's cool about dreaming is not to reach the dream, but it's about like the way. So like when you have a goal. It's so cool that you have this goal because you keep training and pushing and improving and failing and and, and finding solutions and and it's so exciting that uh, and many times when you reach a goal then it's like okay what now and it it comes uh, kind of a empty period but what was very interesting after Everest it was that for me it was also a kind of a test because I didn't know if I was able to to go to to be at this altitude, uh, that's something that I, I needed to be there to 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 know it. Uh, and when I I reached the summit, and then like doing the second summit, it was very interesting because then I realized that it was possible to to spend a lot of hours in in very high altitude, and it was possible to do a very big effort just after a huge effort at this altitude. And and that it just when I came down, it was just like, wow, now I know that it's possible to do so many things. So it was like kind of just like start thinking what can be the next, what can be possible. And it was so, I think it was so cool because going down, it was just like, okay, it's these things that I thought that it might not be possible. I know that it's uh, that I uh, I should try because it might be possible to do and 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 so many like link up projects or like uh, long traverses in in high altitude I think that they might be possible because uh, what I, I experienced during this uh, this climb in Everest. Earlier in this conversation, you mentioned that your original plan this year was to go back to the Himalayas in the late spring. So do you have any unfinished business on Everest? Well, like uh, not unfinished business, uh, but uh, other projects, like I would say, um, when I was going back uh, this year, uh, uh, last year I was in Everest actually uh, in, in autumn. And it was like to try to do a, a, a different thing. First, I was on the other side of the mountain, so a different road, and and try to climb the mountain, being the alone in the in the mountain. So no no other expeditions. What it changed a lot, and I think it's it's very possible to 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 do some things like to do some other ro- roads or to do some link ups. And that's uh, in Himalayas. It's so many big mountains that they are close to each other. And it's some very long ridges that it might be possible to climb. So I, I think only in Himalayas and Pakistan on my notebook with projects, I have like 400 years of things to do. So now I just need to start choosing which ones to, to go every year. 
since you mentioned it, have you had to add new projects to that notebook over the years? Or are you still chipping away on part of your original list? Um, no, like uh, I would say like the original list, it was kind of uh, the competition and races. So that's like that's that's on the past, I would say. Uh, but on projects, that's the problem that uh, a race when you have won uh, or, or it's, it's not much more to do. Um, you can win like two, three, four times, but but it's not that fun anymore. Like it's not like this first time. But on the mountains, the problem is that you climb a summit and then it's like, I, I could take one single mountain and do a different activity for a lifetime. Like I can ski this cool water and then I can climb the ridge and then climb that road and then like do uh, like climb the mountain a few times and climb the mountain in different roads. So on a single mountain, I think you can do very different activities for a lifetime. And Possibilities are endless. Yeah, and, and the problem is that it's endless mountains. So <laughs> it's just like, uh, it, it's it's never ending. In the remaining time that we have here, I do want to talk about the launch of your new foundation. It's called the Killian Journey Foundation. And with it, you want to create awareness and raise funds to protect these mountains that you love so much and spend so much time in. How long has that particular project been in the works? Mm, well, the, the project itself, it has been, I, has, I did start to work about the project Two years ago, um, since Kit, I has been like uh, um, told about uh, the the importance about uh, preserving mountains and the environment. But uh, uh, I'm also very hypocritical because for the last ten years, my lifestyle has been like one of the worst. Uh, I has been traveling the world. I has been taking planes every month. And, and that's uh, that's horrible on a point of, on a on a environmental point of view. So uh, I think uh, we I, I need to I wanted to change my lifestyle, and and then I think it's important to take this discussion about what's the the model of uh, outdoor sports and and if we need to change that, and and what could I do to to just be. Uh, yeah, to, to just take care of the planet that uh, my daughter and, and their generation will uh, will have, and and I found that the best way to do it was through a foundation because I can use all the the my notoriety to raise awareness, to tell people, and to to start conversation about it, and then I can just like collaborate with different projects and start projects that I, I found that interesting. So I, I believe it's uh, it's just something that we need to do. It's 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 already too. I don't think it's too late, but but it's not too far too too late. And, and we need to stop thinking short time and think what will be if my daughter will be able to enjoy mountains and ski and and climb and uh, and run, or uh, or we will just like exploit the 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 planet uh, until we we die and then we don't care in terms of of actual impact what do you hope the foundation is able to do over the next several years so the, the foundation it's uh, we will work in in three different um, areas one is uh, research because I, I believe that uh, is important to to know what are the best actions that we can do for uh, this preservation and for fighting climate change. And that is through research. And also to monitor this uh, transition, we need to know if uh, the actions we do are working. Uh, so one of the pillars is the research, so financing research. The other is uh, is uh, education and, and raising awareness, because I think that we need to be more like at the end of the day, it's um, if people take individual actions, it it makes a difference. And if people are more aware about the problematics, then 
we probably buy differently. We we both uh, thinking about uh, climate change. We both uh, to to the politicians, but also to when we take uh, an account in a bank uh, where the finances go or when we are buying a product, we are also telling this company how to how we want them to produce. So I think awareness and, and education is it's, uh, very important uh, for people to understand that they need to take actions. And then the last... Uh, the last uh, line of work it's uh, it's actions and that can be it's more like to solve uh problems that they are temporal or local if that can be like to be planting trees uh to be like cleaning an area to be taking away like some infrastructures that they are um not working or to build infrastructures that they are more uh, responsible so these are the three the three lines where we want to work and where we we want to put projects and and just like um, yeah find find some collaborations and, and start some projects by uh, by yourself. On a personal level, how do you reconcile your desire to to pursue some of these personal projects, which are going to take place around the world and involve air travel with this desire to be more of a climate advocate and be, for lack of a better word, pickier about when you travel and how often? Yeah, it's uh, uh, here the first contradiction, as I said, like it's uh, for our work or like our work, like we choose it, like uh, uh, I travel a lot, but uh, I realized that from the travels I do, more like the eighty percent, I they I, I just did it because I could, but not it wasn't something that I really really wish. It was not something that I really dream, was dreaming about. So I think first it's important to just travel to that occasion, to that race, or to that project that is really really meaningful. And that can be maybe one time a year and the rest of it, like it's it's possible to do races close to home that we can like just uh, drive or tra- take the train. So I think it's just to, to stop travel because we can, but just to travel when it's something that is very important. And only doing that, I think it cuts the, the 90% of the travel. And, uh, and then it's just like to to accept that uh, maybe it's some things that we cannot do or that we need to do differently, but uh, we need to stop thinking that I, I'm doing this or I'm buying this or I'm going there because I can, but it's it's uh, to buy or to to travel or to do because it's, it's something that is very meaningful and thinking that uh, what are the... So what are the pros and the cons? And on the cons, the the footprint that uh, we are living, it's, it's, it's very important. Last question. A lot of people know you as one of the world's greatest endurance athletes. You are making a stronger push into climate advocacy. How do you want people to think of you? Um, I don't care. I... I, I uh, I don't think I care. Um, I want like uh, my. I, I hope like my daughter, my wife, uh, my parents. They think that I was someone that I was like I had some currents between my values and my acts. So I think that's that's something important for me. That uh, what I think and what I do are on the same page. Um, then like a good thing about, uh, about, uh, history is that we forget, like, uh, history is very long and like, uh, it doesn't matter if you win a world championship or you break a record because in a few years, like in a few years, nobody will remember. And that's great. Uh, because then you are free 
to do what you want and not to think I should do that to be remembered like that. So I don't care. I just want to do things that they are meaningful for me and that, that I hope that they can help the people that I care for. I love it. I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. I've really enjoyed the last hour. Killian Drenay, thank you so much for coming on the Morning Shakeout podcast. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy uh, your conversations. Uh, you are also uh, inspiring a lot of people um, to get out there and to to practice a sport that it's very something very important for the health and for the, the mental. And yeah, just uh, thank you for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. If you enjoyed it and want to support the show, please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and encourage your friends and followers to listen and subscribe. Also, make sure that you tag the AM Shakeout in your post. You can also leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this on, which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me. A big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I've always had a number of different New Balance trainers in my rotation, and I'm going to highlight a few of my recent favorites in the coming weeks. The Fresh Foam 1080 V10 has been a go-to for me since January, and I continue to be impressed with its comfort, versatility, and durability. I have beat the crap out of this shoe on long runs, easy runs, and fartlek sessions, and it still feels great under and around my feet, providing a secure, well-cushioned ride that isn't mushy at all. So if you're looking for a workhorse to add to your own stable of shoes this fall, check out the 1080 V10 at newbalance.com or at the links in the show notes. I'd like to give a shout-out, as always, to my man John Summerford. He's the audio ninja for this show and makes every episode sound clear and amazing. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the social media assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales. Last two things before we wrap up. If you're digging the podcast, I think you will love the Morning Shakeout email newsletter. Every Tuesday morning, I give my take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a short collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to. You can sign up to receive it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. Finally, if you want to support The Morning Shakeout directly, you can become a member on Patreon at themorningshakeout.com slash support. I put out a separate weekly podcast on there called The Weekly Rundown, which I co-host with my friend and colleague Billy Yang, and offer other exclusive perks and sneak peeks from time to time. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. 